I'm Ken Canera, and you're listening to Beyond Consulting. Today, we welcome Vince Schweikowski to the studio, Chief Marketing Officer at Blaze Pizza and former BCG consultant. But before we say hi to Vince, just wanted to remind everybody that we are sponsored by ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former consultants and private equity. Vince, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me today. Excited to be here. You bet. So Blaze Pizza, very well-known consumer brand. We all have gotten on DoorDash at least once, but you started with BCG. How do you get from consulting to CMO? Let, let's start there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I have probably, uh, not that there's a traditional CMO, but I would argue that I have probably one of the least traditional kind of paths to get to a CMO. So started at, at BCG, primarily focusing on consumer businesses while I was there. And with that, I actually think I was more excited for the lifestyle that I was living on at BCG than a lot of the work that I was doing. And actually, it ultimately became part of my professional life later on. And so much of that was the travel. And so I loved kind of, you know, working on these projects, seeing different aspects of it, but always doing it in a different place, right? It was wow, I get to be in Seattle and I get to experience a hotel, I get to experience a new restaurant, I get to experience different people, international travel. All of those different aspects for me were one of the biggest benefits that I got from, from BCG. It was really sort of understanding how the world works and how people connect through food, travel, hospitality. And so sort of the subsequent part of my career ultimately ended up focusing on a lot of those things, which is kind of like the shortest way I got from BCG to Blaze Pizza. But obviously there were some moments in between. But again, always had this passion for consumer brands and really doing something that was gonna make a meaningful impact in people's lives. And so after BCG, I ended up going to a BCG client called Dean Foods. I was at Dean Foods for a little while and their newly forming strategy Group, a bunch of ex-Bain, BCG, McKinsey people all coming together, making big PowerPoint decks and trying to save the world. And from there, I was actually in the process of applying to go back to business school and did a whole lot of soul searching and a lot of networking to say like, well, what is it that I really want to do? And ultimately came down to, I really want to be in hospitality, more broadly hospitality, right? That could have been restaurants, it could have been hotels was always passionate about travel and hotels and found the five people, literally five, I'm not kidding, five people who had worked at a top management consulting firm, had gone to get their MBA and were now doing something in the hotel space. I found all of them. I spoke to like three or four of them. I didn't get like, there was like one or two who like wouldn't pick up my phone call, but ultimately had this great experience networking with these people in a very, very specialized place for someone with my background. And that ultimately came down to somebody turning an informational interview into a real interview and a job offer. And so withdrew all my applications to business school became the first member of Hilton's global brand strategy team, built that entire function. So built our own kind of in-house BCG McKinsey, then built out a guest experience team, an analytics team, a research and insights team, and built this shared services model that we used across all the brands globally. So it was still a lot of that core strategy stuff. It was all the stuff that I was working on at Hilton, but I'd just done it at BCG, and now I was applying it at Hilton in a very different way. And that's when a lot of the marketing stuff started to come in, right? So we were then, I was thinking about, well, how do we think about 
portfolio strategy? How do we think about launching a brand, right? Like there's a lot of marketing that goes into that, right? You're thinking about how you're doing advertising, you're thinking about, you know, PR and social. And so a lot of that became part of my role, even though I wasn't directly overseeing marketing. So I did that for a little while and also then created a lot of new brands while I was at Hilton. Oh, really? That brought me like the biggest joy, right? So like really thinking through there's an opportunity here. Yeah. Again, like BCG brain, marketing brain, <laughs> brand brain, all coming together. Like the BCG brain came in and was like, there's an opportunity. There's a blank, there's a white space, right? Like blue yeah. sky strategy. What's the segment that we're going after? What's the market size for this? How do we think about this? Where's the profitability going to come to? How do we drive growth for the broader organization? So that was all that, that sort of core strategy management consulting framework and experience that I was able to bring into to that. Well, then it became, okay, great. Now this looks really nice on a piece of paper. <laughs> Once I left PCG, I never made, I didn't make 300 page PowerPoint decks anymore. I maybe made like 30 to 40 page PowerPoint decks, but I had this like 30 to 40 page PowerPoint deck, the C-suites like super excited saying, yes, we should do this. And then like, well, great, but like, who's going to do it? So then I was like, oh, crap. So like then it became more into the brand mindset of, all right, well now what are all the components to do this brand, right? You have to think about naming. I was at a hotel company. I had to think about architecture and design. I had to think about everything down to what shampoo goes in the shower and how soft and fluffy are the towels or the color of the sheets and things like that. You know, how do you think about food and beverage experiences in your lobby? Do you have them? Do you not have them? What offerings are you giving as part of your brand? Is it free breakfast? Is it a great gym, do you not care about fitness, all of those different types of things. So it was became basically an in-house branding agency at some point too. Don't get me wrong, oh, wow. lots of agencies and things like that, but really pulling together all of this great thinking from across the organization, right? Like yeah. pulling in digital experts, pulling in marketing experts, operations experts, our design and construction team with outside consultants, but using that as kind of the hub for then building a brand. And then the marketing mind came in when it became, okay, now I have this great thing and it looks pretty and it sits on the shelf. How do you do B2B marketing, right? I had to Hilton's franchise. So you have to sell franchises in order to get these hotels built. And then again, thinking around the go-to-market launch strategy and what is your voice on social and how do you participate in the loyalty program and think through CRM. So again, really based in that core kind of management consulting skill set, but I was able to bring in a lot of the other things that I didn't even know I was super passionate about until I started doing them. So that was kind of that culmination of really pulling all that together left Hilton, went to a company in Los Angeles called Decurion. It's a large-scale real estate business that had a business within it called Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters. So was their first ever CMO, brought in there to do all sorts of great things with completely reimagining the experience, thinking about marketing. They, didn't, they never had done performance marketing before. They didn't have digital before. So it was really looking at all that. That was a really fun run. COVID happened. Lots of pivots happened, I think, for many people. Like, you could probably have another podcast called like The Perfect Pivot or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, how did you pivot? Because... Or yeah, what did you do when COVID happened? <laughs> exactly, right? So like many people in there in that situation had to fundamentally rethink what I was going to do and then join Blaze and join Blaze in the middle of, of the pandemic, which was, you know, maybe in hindsight, probably added a few more gray hairs to my head than I needed, but joined here to become the CMO of Blaze. And ultimately, again, what Blaze was looking for 
was how do we think about brand and particularly how do we think about brand as a vehicle to drive growth, right? There's a lot of different ways that you can use marketing. There's performance marketing and yes, you should be on meta and you should be thinking about PR and social and having 360 degree approaches to your campaigns. But one of the things I think is quite that I think drives differentiation and drives a lot of growth. And one thing that I'm very passionate about, and I think I've really learned a lot about over my career, is how important brand is. And when you have brand as that North Star, and you really think through every single lens of what that brand can do, it impacts everything you make. It actually has an impact on like what benefits you offer your employees, right? It has an impact on how you operate, on where you spend money, what you think about when it comes to innovation, how you treat your guests and your customer service strategy. So that was a core part of why I joined Blaze, that there was such a passion to, to really build that and to use that brand as a way to drive the next phase of growth for this business. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope I answered your question. It was You definitely did. And I now I have lots more, which is a good thing. And while I'm biased because we're friends, I will say you've done a phenomenal job. I mean, I if I just think about myself, I didn't know necessarily who Blaze was 3 years ago, but I absolutely know them very well now as a result of a lot of the work that you've done. So, and that's just speaking as a consumer. So that's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a lot of work. And again, I think coming in during COVID, right? Like all of the playbooks that any experienced marketer had, like you kind of had to throw out the window, right? So I think all of COVID really forced everyone to be a lot more nimble, Mm -hmm. but again, Mm -hmm. nimble within what framework. And I think that's why that brand is so important, right? If you have a clear framework for your brand, it allows you to still be nimble and, and evolve or experiment but don't go outside the lines. And I think that's been one of the success stories at Blaze as well, is right, we've been able to do, we've been able to evolve and move forward and really drive new channels and new opportunities for growth while also defining and staying within the core. Yeah, and one of the things that's surprising to me about consultants is actually going into marketing. It's a less, I would say, prevalent thing than you might think, right? Like if I look at all like the CMOs that got their start in consulting, it's actually less than you might think. I mean, a lot of them grew up in, you know, brand strategy or something like that. I guess two things I want to unpack. So one is like, okay, you talk a lot about brand, which is a very squishy thing for a consultant, (laughs) right? Like, I'm curious, like how you kind of like unpack that because just for my own edification and also like our listeners, like, you know, we need to put structure around things, right? In order for them to make sense. So how do you kind of like unpack brand and maybe just talk about what you did at Blaze as maybe a kind of a launching pad? Yeah, and I think that might be part of the reason why there's not as many consultants in marketing, right? (laughs) Because there's a lot of marketing that isn't measurable, right? You know, everyone always wants to see an ROI and yeah, a bunch of agencies and CMOs are gonna be a bunch of marketing math, but like truly attributable ROI is harder to come by. And I think it's even harder to your point with brand, right? Brand is extra, extra squishy. So, but think about products or brands that you love and that you use in your everyday, what are the things that you're going and giving people a recommendation on, right? Like, what are the expectations that you have on something because of an experience that you had someplace else? And I think it's particularly important 
in places where you might not always get the same consistency, right? Like when you're thinking about, I don't know, a pack of gum, like you might like the flavor, you might like the packaging, you might think it has cool marketing, but like every time you open it, it's always going to taste the same. It's consistent, right? Mm -hmm. When you go to a restaurant and you go to a restaurant in location A versus location B, or you go from a hotel, right? Like each hotel is totally different from a design perspective, the amenities that it has. But what's the, like, how does that hotel behave? How does it resonate with you? How do the staff greet you? Do they say, hi, sir, or hey, bro? Like, <laughs> those things are brand. That's brand, yeah. right? Like, literally how someone greets you when you walk into a Blaze Pizza and, and someone, before you've even walked up to them, you walk through the door and they scream across the restaurant and they say, hey, like, welcome to Blaze. That creates an environment, right? Like, yeah. Hey, like it's a little more casual here and like the music that's playing overhead, like it all creates a vibe, which is also like a squishy term, right? Like what is vibe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, like that to me is what a brand is. And when you've defined what the brand is, you can use that to then define all of those different experiential components. So I can tell you like Blaze has a, we've part of the big process for us was coming up with what is our brand promise. Uh -huh. And Blaze's new brand promise is free to be you. And so I'll unpack that into two parts. Free to be you is a very functional value proposition that applies to Blaze because Blaze is a pizza cop. For those of you listening who don't know what Blaze is, come visit us. But it's a build your own down the line pizza concept. So you walk in, you pick one of five crust options. You pick all these different sauces, cheeses, vegetables. There's like 35 to 45 different ways you can customize your pizza. And then it's cooked in a 600 degree oven in three minutes before your eyes and popped out and delivered. And it's delicious, by the way. It's, yeah, I do it on cheat day. So, <laughs> well, we have enough options that you don't have to cheat because we have keto crust and everything else. That is true. But that so the functional value proposition of free to be you applies to our concept, right? Like there's so many ways for you to be creative. And like if you're feeling you want to go spicy one day or you want to go heavier on meat or you want to you feel like you're cheating. So you want to go a little bit lighter and have more veggies forward that is all part of our core value proposition you're not being charged for all those toppings right so like you can have two toppings you could put 10 on your pizza right like that's all part of free to be you but then there's an emotional territory of free to be you which is around acceptance and inclusivity and creativity and all of the different types of things that appeal to people that when we then build out those proof points that becomes the intangible part and so what the brand needs to, from a value and functional standpoint, appeal to everybody's head, right? Logically, they have to understand it. But then what's that sort of like heart component? Where's the emotional territory that makes you a super fan? So that when you're going and telling somebody else like, oh my gosh, I love Blaze Pizza. And they say, why? I've never heard of it. You're going to be able to say, oh, well, it's amazing. It's a great value. The quality is amazing. They make their dough fresh in house every day. Say the dough. But there's just something about that brand. Like when I walk in, like I'm greeted in a certain way. They like, you know, I love like the music that's playing. Their merch line is really great. Like, oh, wow. Okay, now that's become something where it's become ingrained as part of your lifestyle. That's how I think a brand differentiates itself. Blaze is not like, it's not hard. Someone could go and replicate Blaze tomorrow, right? Yeah. Think about fashion, think about hotels, like think about all these products. Once it's produced, like it's not hard to replicate it. Brand is what creates something that's going to last for a lot longer. And if you think about a lot of spaces that are now getting really crowded, right? Like think about 
all the transformation that's happened in everything from like disrupting traditional medical to subscription vitamins and gummies to meal delivery kits like where one person had a really great idea and then you had all the copycats right and then it proliferates in the market and then what happens is is that a bunch of them fall out the ones that end up coming to the top are the ones that have a really clear value proposition and a really clear emotional territory that resonates with people and creates that brand. So that's what I'm saying. There is no measurable ROI against brand, but you can th- if you do a little bit of digging and you think about what watch is on your wrist, what shirt is on your back, what car do you drive, what hotel do you stay at, what restaurant do you eat at, what bar do you go to for happy hour? There is a reason why you continue to go after something again and again, whether it's a shallow reason like status or flashiness, whether it's a more emotional connection, there's a reason and brand plays a part in that. And so that to me is one of the key, key things that differentiates a successful business in the consumer space, right? Yeah. But I actually know even in the B2B space, right? Like reliability or quality or cost or whatever that is, they're all going to be components too. They're just probably going to be a little bit more on the functional side of a brand rather than on sort of more of the, the emotive side that you're going to see on the consumer space. But I only focus on the consumer side of stuff, so yeah, I probably shouldn't stray too far outside of my lane on that one. Well, no, and it's interesting you mentioned the welcome component, right? So, okay, again, I'm speaking as a consumer. It's something I definitely feel when I'm in a Blaze restaurant, right? And the reason I thought you just made me think about it is because there's this local gym that I go to and actually stopped going to just because like, I belong to three different gyms, embarrassed to say, but I'm a little bit of a gym rat. But the reason I go to it is basically my wife wants to go to that gym. I actually don't like it. But every time I walk in, it's like, I just don't feel well. It's like, I'm, I'm pissing them off by being there. Right. And it's funny because it's over time, it's like definitely altered my behavior such that I'm like, I say to my wife, like, oh, you go ahead. I'll go to the other gym today. Cause I know it's closer, but like, and it's such a small, like seemingly small thing, but I'm going to cancel my membership to this gym eventually, but tell that gym to call me and I'll help them out a little bit. Well, they're a one pop shop. So, but what makes me think a lot also about what you're talking about is like, um, Danny Meyer's book on hospitality, like setting the table. And like, uh, I don't know if, if you maybe could expound on that as it relates to kind of like the work you're doing at Blaze. Cause I definitely, I never thought about it until now, but I'm seeing a lot of the parallels that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes down to like a lot of Danny Meyer's philosophy is hospitality, 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 show people that you care and that you appreciate them, right? And look, it's a little bit easier at certain price points, right? You can have a chef come over and do a table touch. You can send a free dessert over, right? Like I don't have those margins. I don't have those people. Like I can't do that at place. But what can I do, right? I can train all of our people to give you a genuine thank you. I can say, hey, if you're not slammed, go out into the dining room and greet people. And if they're finished with their pizza, take their tray. Don't make them get up. Like that's just a small component that you wouldn't expect, right? Like yes. you're not expecting that at our price point. No one's going to do that at some of our competitors, both in pizza and without, outside of pizza, right? So those are just some of those little differentiators that again, like you're not going to think exactly to, oh, that was so nice that somebody did that to me. You're just going to feel a general sense of like I got taken care of. Yeah. Or where I think it also really helps is 
where are things where there's some level of like irrational value placed on something like that you're going to pay more right so do i have more pricing power than my competitors because people are saying well like blaze is just so much better so like yeah the product's pretty close but like they make their dough in-house and the other people don't and like so yeah it's two dollars more but it's the best two dollars i'm gonna spend and like it's two bucks who cares right like those are some of the perceptions that, that kind of happen at, at particularly at our price point and in our brand and then you think about that take that all the way up to the luxury level right i mean yeah. a cartier or a tiffany diamond is Sorry if you work at Cartier or Tiffany and listen to this, but like, it's no different than the diamond I can get in the diamond district, right? Why yeah. am I paying that premium? I'm paying for it because that brand stands for something, right? There's a quality, there's a heritage to it. I'm paying for the color of the box that, you know, there's a status symbol to it, right? Like yeah. all of those things. So there are levels of how brand plays in and how this experiential component plays in across every single part of the price point. I think, again, a lot of people tend to think about it much more in a luxury space or like a fashion type of space, like, oh, brand, you know, because they think of logos and I'm wearing a logo or something like that. Yeah, Brands everywhere. I mean, every one of us has a personal brand, right? Like how you describe yourself, how you dress, how you wear your hair, all those different types of things. There is a way in which you're representing yourself and you want people to recognize that in you, right? Like yeah. you want to be known as a certain type of person. That's your person. How do you treat and interact with people in the world? Are you super polite? Are you saying thank you? Are you, you know, like there's different ways we all do it. And so brand I think is everywhere. And where I think a lot of brands fail is they focus too much on sort of the shallow parts instead of going super, super deep down to a team member inside a blaze. I can tell them that they have to say, hey, how are you? But what are they going to do? They're going to say, hi, how are you today? Welcome to Blaze. Or are they going to say, Ken, it is so great to see you again. Like, how are you, man? They're going to be more engaged the better we take care of our people. So are we putting the right benefits and culture programs in place, right? Like Blaze just recently launched a partnership with Strayer University so that we could provide discounted ongoing education opportunities to all of our line level team members in a restaurant, right? Like that's not something I'm marketing, right? Like I'm not going on, I'm not, you know, putting an Instagram out there being like, Blaze is doing this great yeah. thing. What is that doing? It's putting our money where our mouth is and it's showing our team members that we care about them. And we're trying to do whatever we can to build loyalty and build a caring sense of environment so that they then care for all the people who walk through our door every day. But again, that all ladders up to the brand, it ladders up to free to be you, right? Like I want you to have opportunities to grow and develop and be your best self. Education's part of that. So like that's how that brand promise was part of every single part of the decision-making. So again, it really is being a brand-led and a brand-centric organization is not for everybody because it's a lot of work and you have to make some hard decisions and you make a lot of decisions that don't necessarily have a real ROI, but it all adds up. Yeah. And your analogy about a person being a brand, because that makes so much sense to me, because it's like everything that you do is theoretically consistent or inconsistent with, you know, to an external observer as it relates to your brand. Right. And so that's a really great analogy. What about if I'm listening to this podcast, I also have no clue what a CMO does like on a <laughs> daily and like yearly basis. Right. I can probably take a good guess. But what is it like to be Vince at Blaze Pizza? 
Yeah, there's so many different types of CMOs, right? And I think for me, it's a combination, right? Like I am trying to drive long-term strategy, right? So like right now, Blaze is going through this process of rebranding. So that includes everything from I'm looking at packaging samples and what new uniforms look like. Today, I'm looking at what our new website and new app is going to look like, as well as the new features. I'm also engaging with teams and agencies on, okay, well, how are we driving sales tomorrow through the email that you're about to send out, right? Like, are we putting an offer in it? Is there a discount? Like, how are you thinking about all those different types of things? Yeah. So really, I mean, it's holistically thinking about all of the components of what it takes to drive both brand and healthy top line growth for a business. It's how we're spending money. And, and again, like, you know, that also gets to some of the old kind of like BCG management consulting stuff, right? Like when you're spending hardcore dollars on performance marketing or in, in our business, right? Like we market through third-party channels like DoorDash or Uber Eats. Like yeah. what's the ROI? I'm going to spend X dollars. How much is that going to deliver? What is that actually going to look like? How am I comping over last year's plan? Am I, you know, where am I squeezing every little drop out of a budget that I don't care how big your budget is, you always think it can be bigger, right? And it plays ours super, super small. So there's that component. And then there's the whole sort of creative side, right? And different people lean into different things. As I said, I lean a lot into the brand. I'm lucky in that I have an analytical background. So I actually have a little bit of a unique perspective that I can really dig into a lot of the numbers in the analytics. And like in two weeks, I'm doing a three-day social media photo shoot, right? And I'm going to be on site at the photo shoot being like, no, I don't think that pizza looks good. And like, we don't have enough diversity with our models today, or like that shirt is distracting because it has a logo on it, right? Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff too. So, I mean, I think the role of a CMO, a successful CMO is to be able to be super, super strategic, really be able to drive a team and a team goes beyond your existing team, right? It goes to other cross-functional parts of the organization as well as external teams on all the agencies you work with, drive them to a North Star and then also find that right balance between getting involved and getting into the details so that you can really push and drive that agenda forward while also taking a step back and letting your team do what they're all amazing at, right? Because none of us are good. I didn't come up through the digital route. I didn't come up through Procter & Gamble's management training program, right? There's a lot of experience and skills that I don't have that I rely on my team for. I actually think one of my biggest roles, right, is developing an unbelievably talented group of people because it's one of those things where you know, I think in any function, right, you're never going to be good at everything. But in marketing, there's just so many different ways in which you can take it, right? It can be media buying, it could be creative, it could be copywriting, all the things around digital, we have a loyalty program, right? Like, all of those different things, you can't be good at all of them. So how are you as a leader finding the right ways that are going to drive the biggest return for the business and have the biggest growth impact? while also then finding the right people to fill in your own sort of skill set gaps. Because again, like we all have things we're passionate about. We all have things we have experience in and we all have blind spots or opportunities. So again, I, I think that's one of the biggest things. And again, 
I think it's on everybody, on every department, but I do find that marketing is such breadth to it that it does become a bigger need here than I think in many other departments. And how does one convince leadership at their company, right, for things that are a little bit more kind of like brand focused or squishy, but absolutely, like, you know, if you look at it on a singular basis, you can say, well, it's impossible to calculate the ROI on that. But if you look at it holistically, it's obvious, right? How does one like convince leadership to, I guess, make those decisions? Or could you talk maybe about what you've done in the past or Sure. I, I think first of all, it's knowing your audience, right? Mm-hmm. I know the different CEOs that I've worked with, what they care about and are passionate about and what they need to see. And again, I think that's one of the biggest skills I learned in consulting, right? Like yeah, I learned all the analytics, but I also knew between partners, clients, like somebody really cared about the analytics. Somebody wanted a big, thick deck to have a thud factor on a table. And somebody was (laughs) like, I don't want slides at all, right? Like, talk to me, give me your elevator pitch. So knowing your audience, I think is first and foremost, so that you can craft the right type of story and business case, I'll use air quotes around business case, for what it is that that you're going to need. And I think, particularly at the board level, I mean, I'm in a private equity-backed business, right? Like, when I walk into a board meeting, they're not just being like, oh, cool, show me some brand stuff. They're like, what is this going to deliver? So where are there elements that you can take data-driven approaches to what it is that you're trying to do? So even on something like brand, you can use consumer research and you can say, hey, the consumer is telling us X. They're telling us they're not coming as much because of X, Y, Z reason. They're saying these are the things that they love about us. Why aren't we doubling down on that, right? Like, oh, they're loving that. That means other people would love that too. So our marketing campaign should push on that was we're going out to attract new customers, which is going to make my marketing campaign more effective or is going to make this new hospitality program better because I'm doubling down on what we're good at or I'm solving a gap. So those, I think, are the ways that even on certain things that are squishy, you can still put numbers to it, right? Like You can still use data to drive to a decision instead of just coming in and saying like here's a pretty picture here's our new video asset like this feels good yeah yeah like oh yeah like this is the feeling of this color okay blaze changing all of its colors right and one of our colors that we're bringing in is yellow i can tie back why we're using yellow to say our consumers told us that they wanted it to feel joy like blaze in many cases ignites joy for them like when they have this great experience well what color best represents happiness and joy it's yellow so why wouldn't yellow if we're having a thing where one of our brand values is our brand pillars i'm sorry is igniting joy okay well if i have that i'm saying all those things making a choice on color i can ladder everything back so it's not just an yes it's still opinion based right someone can say i want pink or i want black or purple or whatever it is Fine. But when you present something in, this is rooted in our strategy that we all align to, right? This is rooted in consumer research. These are the parallel things that we have done and why they worked and why we want to double down or why we want to tweak or why they didn't work, but why we're doing it again because we've learned something from it. So again, I think that's a really, really important part is I think for most people outside of marketing, they get lost when you're like, oh, this feels right or this seems like the right thing to do or like this is my opinion right like yes and there's so much of marketing that is gut and there is an art to it 
But there is also a science component. And so I think, again, knowing your audience and being able to pull in the science leads to more effective dialogues and conversations and gets the buy-in, right? Because the other thing is sometimes you have people who are just like confused and like, sure, just go for it. Rah, rah, rah. And then, but then they question it later, right? Like the goal should always be to walk out of a room fully aligned on what it is that you're going to do. Be transparent. Where are their risks, right? Like where are the things that you aren't sure of? And how are you mitigating those, right? Like every time we put something in, I'm, we're saying, okay, well, it's digital. I can turn it off tomorrow if I need to. Great. So did it work? Didn't. Why are we spending money against it? Drop it, pivot, go back, do something again. So again, I think that's hugely, hugely important. The sort of the shift in the tools that have been available to a marketer now are crazy compared to what they were before, right? Like you can run 50 different creative spots all at the same time and have Facebook shoot you back, like which one performed and you can change like single words or copy or this, appeared at the top versus the bottom or it appeared in the end card versus the opening card right and you basically can use all of these algorithms and things like that so like there's a lot more analytics that happen now so again don't be afraid of those types of things and if you're not again like know what you're good at if you're not good at that make sure you have somebody on your team who is good at that and who loves dealing with an excel spreadsheet and have them be able to be a part of that as a solution moving forward yeah, no, I, I like the way you pick that up. And I guess the kind of last thing I'm curious about is it's this kind of dichotomy, right? So, or paradox. I talk to a lot of folks that are in consulting, interested in going into marketing, but yet there's a disproportionate number that are actually in marketing. So what would your advice be to someone that, okay, Vince has the dream job. I would love to kind of like see myself get there? How should they go about like thinking about maybe their first or second job out of consulting? Yeah, you know, I think that there are huge opportunities for folks coming out of consulting. And I think there are more now than there ever have been. I think one of the biggest opportunities for people coming out of consulting is to go more into sort of growth marketing, because it's such a big, big component. There's so much analytical horsepower that's needed to do that well. So for those of us that don't really know what growth marketing, could you tell us? Okay, sure. So think about that as sort of like all your performance-based marketing. So things like Facebook, Instagram, you know, how are you going out there and grabbing new customers? Okay, got it. Right? Like you're basically saying, I know enough about my current customer and I have to drive growth through usually customer acquisition. Okay. The other component of growth marketing is then also how are you maintaining and nurturing those relationships? So that's when you get into like CRM, right? So like customer relationship management, which is usually your text-based communications, your email communications, push notifications. If you have an app, how are you nurturing somebody so that they're spending more with you or that they're staying with you long? Longer, right everyone has a natural churn rate so like these are all things that if you're a consultant you probably know like lifetime value of a customer churn rates like these are all terms you've probably heard of or like used in a case before right like well great there's entire roles that focus on those things so that is an area that i think is definitely a big opportunity right and i actually have somebody who i hired from mckinsey directly to work for me while i was at arclight to start my strategy team who's now at a startup focusing exclusively as their vp of growth right like that is what he does and he's killing it so those are definitely huge opportunities, I think, for people coming out of management consulting. Now, that being said, 
personally, what I would be doing is I would be trying to find a brand-centric organization that had a brand strategy team because those strategy teams is 100% a place where you are gonna thrive, right? Like you know how to do it. It's just like, it's in your bread and butter, but it will challenge you to think a little bit differently, particularly in a more consumer-driven business. And those teams tend to have unprecedented access to the C-suite. Interesting. Think about it, when I joined Hilton, I was 24. I was a little baby. who had no experience in hotels, who didn't know what the hell he was doing, and was constantly meeting with EVPs, the CEO, like as a little 24-year-old, right? So like that gave me, first of all, unbelievable amounts of skills and knowledge just by being a sponge and observing the way people think about the business and all the experience they had and why something works or doesn't work. It also gave me an opportunity to really chart my own course, right? Like I became passionate about building brands and I was able to say, well, here's the business case why we should do it. And by the way, you're also going to need someone to actually implement it. So like, I want to do that. And like, I had the trust and rapport with everybody that I could then lead those projects. So I think that's really, really like another interesting opportunity. Not all strategy teams are the same. Right, a corporate strategy team that's focusing on M&A, as an example, is not going to give you the opportunity to then get into marketing. But get in at a good level, sort of younger in your career, that you can then have some growth within an organization, and then roll out into a different part of the organization. Right, so many people from my strategy team that I built at Hilton became like director of brand management at this thing. Like some of them became brand heads. One of them is now the CMO of a different company, right? So like this path does really work when I think you kind of follow it. And I think my one final piece of advice is, okay, so right, you can go directly into like a growth marketing role. You can go into a brand strategy role. No matter what role you go into, try to find people who are gonna be unbelievable bosses and mentors and give you the right opportunities and who are aligned to the way you think and what you want to do and they probably want to do it themselves right like i knew i didn't want to be in strategy forever i wanted to build something and then i wanted to have a role outside of strategy i didn't want to become the senior vice president of strategy like that was not my that was not my dream job for many people it is like people love like they were like i want to be the chief strategy officer like cool that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so people who were working for me, like I hired people who had really interesting strategic backgrounds, but worked at Procter and Gamble or had worked at Mars Wrigley or had worked at Ralph Lauren and interesting places that they had that experience. They had that ex that they were consultants, they had MBAs, they had all this type of stuff, but they were really passionate about consumer. So they knew what I wanted to do and then they wanted to backfill my job and then they wanted to do the same thing. And I was super, super supportive of their development in order to be able to do that. And not everybody wants that, not everyone thinks that way. So do your due diligence. Like whatever you want to do. I don't think people do enough due diligence when they're taking a new role. A hundred percent. And like, don't be crazy about it, right? And like realize if you're younger in your career, you have so many opportunities to pivot later in life, but do your due diligence and really think about, am I aligned to what this person, like, are we aligned strategically? Are we aligned developmentally? 
Is this person going to be a champion of me and my development? Are they going to push me? Are they going to be an advocate when I want to go work for a different team? Or are they going to be a person who's going to be like, how dare you try to leave me, right? Like those are really, really important things because particularly when you go into that strategy group, if you then want to get into marketing or you want to go work for a loyalty program or something like that, you need strong advocates to be able to say like, this is why I think Jim or Sally or whoever it is, is going to be great for the role. And not all people operate that way. So, Yeah, no, I fully agree, especially on your last point in terms of like doing your due diligence. I think a lot of people, I mean, I get to see it firsthand because we work in recruiting, but people get excited by a shiny object, right? And it's like, yeah, but the guy or gal that you're going to be working with on a daily basis, <laughs> it matters so much. Right. Like $5,000, $10,000 less or more. Like, And that's usually the focus at the one yard line. Yeah. If I had cared about five grand, yeah, when I was 24, it was $5,000 a big deal for me. Like, yeah, that's like, that was like a nice chunk of change when you're like sharing an apartment with a roommate and all that other kind of stuff, right? Like, yeah. Do I think about that, that I didn't get the five grand back then now? No, I could really care less about it. I'm glad I took the experience. Like hotels pay shit, restaurants pay shit, right? Like, so like, it's not like I'm in all these industries because I was like, oh, I was like killing it and making, if I stayed at BCG, I would have made a hell of a lot more money for a period of time, right? Yeah. Like there's the long-term kind of payoff and the joy of like waking up every day and being super passionate about what I do and the people who I work with. And again, like that who you work for and work with, I think is exceptionally important, right? Like I always say, like one of the, my belief on people is that everyone is 10 times more capable than they will give themselves credit for, right? Like people are always like, I don't think people always achieve their full potential. I really do Mm -hmm. believe that everyone has unbelievable potential in life. And I think there's two things that get in people's way is one is what environment are you being put in and who's around you? Are they constantly pushing you to be 10 times more capable or are they at best letting you settle for status quo and at worst sort of dampening your potential, your creativity, your performance, whatever that is. So that's the first thing, right? And then the second is what are you doing about it, right? Like there's plenty of people who've worked for me too who are like, great, I wanna get to X level. And I'm like, okay. And like, what are we going to do? Like, you have to put the effort and the work in. I can't just promote you for no reason. I can't develop you on your behalf. Can't skip steps. (laughs) You have to do the work. Yeah. So I just think those are the types of things that are really, really important. And again, think about that from a perspective of how are you reaching your best self and your best potential? And how are you thriving doing it every day? How are you surrounding yourself? What are you doing to push it? Because again, I think... It's hard. There's a lot of roadblocks along the way. So finding the right people who will, it's hard. And sometimes you get a little angry because you're like, oh my God, this person's riding my ass. But you know what? Like, are they doing it for the right reasons? Are they doing it because they see what you can achieve and they want to help you get there? Ride my ass all day if that's what you're getting. Like, if that's your goal, then amazing. Like, I want to work for one of those people 10 times over, then push the easy button and have everybody be hunky-dory, but not actually really moving the needle. So... Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And if I think about like my favorite bosses throughout my life, two things. One is like I never groan when I see them pop up on my cell phone, right? It's never like, oh, fuck, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> you have some of those though that you're like, oh man, why are you calling me? <laughs> yeah, but then two, like they push you too, right? Like it's like, and sometimes it's a little bit uncomfortable or just ever so slightly annoying. But like, you know what? Like those are the people I remember the most in terms of like my own kind of growth and achievement. So that's a great point. I think the other thing too, again, given a lot of what I think is the audience for this is like, also think about the type of leader that you want to be now, right? And if it's your like, you're a project leader and you're managing somebody for the first time or you're a partner or you're already outside of consulting, right? Like, you know, walk the walk, right? Like you can't just say it. Like you actually like, you know, do that yourselves, right? I, I think that's critically, critically important. Are you growing and developing your people? Are you, you know, how are you kind of thinking about it? So. I think people often like put the blame on others, right? There's a lot of like reflection and responsibility I think you need to take for yourself, for your own management style, for how you're growing and developing yourself, particularly right now, right? Like everyone wants to point the blame and make an excuse. And I think, yeah, there's outside factors, right? But what are you doing within the environment that you're in to make yourself thrive and create an environment where others thrive with you? Well. Couldn't agree more. And this has been, a, at least for me, a, a masterclass on brand building and marketing. So I appreciate you joining us today, Vince. If folks wanted to, I guess, learn more about yourself or more about Blaze, obviously, y'all should go to Blaze tonight if you haven't been. Get yourself pizza. Very good. Yes. Get a great greeting. Try all of our unbelievable toppings. Our dough's made in-house every day. So yes, come and try Blaze Pizza. You can find us on all social channels, blazepizza.com, if you want to place a digital order. And uh, anyone who wants needs any advice or wants to talk about my career or needs some help, you can totally reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Vincent, whatever the backslash Schweikhaus <laughs> is my last name. I guarantee you there's not more than we, one of them on there. So yeah, We will put that in the description because there's no way that you'll be able to spell it. In fact, the funniest thing is like before we got started recording today, I had to ask Vince, who I've talked to dozens of times, how do I pronounce your last name, Vince? Easier to say than it is to spell, but yes, <laughs> it's a hard yes. one. Well, good stuff. No, I appreciate it. And then for everybody else listening for the first time, if you want to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple. And if you want to catch transcripts from previous episodes, it's going to be beyondconsulting.info. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch with me or anybody else at ECA Partners, it's going to be eca-partners.com. Until next week, Vince, thanks so much. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken.